Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcasts. G'day and welcome to Thrash and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast that's a little bit chess, crossbred with a little bit of Megadeth. Speaking of bitches, I'm Aaron and I'm joined as usual by this dude from Team Metal. He's one of many headbangers keeping chiropractors in business. Welcome to the show, Evan. How you doing? G'day. How you going? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. How was your week? Um, oh God, busy as hell as usual. We got everything going on. Just uh, you know, rent inspections. Got kids doing driving lessons. Oh, that's what I was going to tell you. We had two flat tires in the space of three hours. Yeah, on a Sunday afternoon. You can have a Sunday afternoon stroll. <laughs> There you go. But anyways, guess what? What? We have another diva in the studio today, and I'm so excited I've whipped out the golden dinner plates just for the occasion. Our next guest is a thrilling talent down under and over, plus a self-proclaimed go-to guy for roles of colour, which is proven by his appearances in Blue Healers, Grey Gardens, Mr. Black, White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, the hit show Wilfred, as well as playing Otis Redding, which is perfect since his name literally means Bert, the streaks of colour. But on the other side of the rainbow, this electrifying entertainer is actually the go-to guy when you want the roof sung off your theatre in a religious experience, given that he crucified the UK in JC Superstar, was our salvation in Guys and Dolls, blessed our reigns in today's chosen musical, and guided us to church in the 25th annual long-named musical, <laughs> which paved his path to a profusion of premiere productions, which thankfully meant this McDreamy McDoctor was on call to cheer us up in the Australian premiere production of the most happy musical, Next to Normal, <laughs> where yet again his volcanic vocals left me saying, that bitch. And thus, with countless appearances on stage and screen, he remains our most captivating, our most extraordinary, and certainly our most go-to guy in Aussie theatre. So please give a warm g'day to the star of Pirate Islands, the lost treasure of Fiji, who's here today to get lost in some thrash, not treasure. He's an officer, a gentleman, and a scholar. He's also the incredible Bert Labonte. Welcome to the torture chamber. That's um, that's extraordinary. You have pulled some of the oldest shit I've ever done out of there as well. That's really great. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We we do some deep cuts here. There's some archival footage in that. Um, yes. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's uh, that's lovely to be here. It's a lovely introduction. Yes, I am a bitch and a diva. Oh, that voice! I tell you what, I think I even told you once. I met you outside the art center, and I walked up to you and I said, "You're Bert Labonte, yes?" And and you said, "Yes." And I said, "That voice, man, shit." And I walked away. So if you remember <laughs> yeah, some guy coming up to you saying that, I think I had a mohawk at the time. Oh, right. Okay. Look, there's a, I have a vague recollection of, of um, uh, a meeting with a bloke and a mohawk. So that was you. That was me. Was that, was that next to, was it next to normal? I think I was saying Camelot. <laughs> right, right. No, so it was normal. And I'd, yeah, right. I'd seen you the year before or two years before in Putnam County. And it's going but yes, yes, yes. Holy shit, that voice. Really. And we were only a few rows from the front, so <laughs> I, I left there without any hair because you blew it away. Oh, like, seriously, <laughs> like that—that that is some absolute power. Which I have to ask, 
since it's so powerful, have you ever shattered a window or a wine glass? No, no windows. Uh, no, I have. To, I've had a crack at a wine. I tried. I, yeah. You know, when you try and scream at something, and I was uh, going to say, have you had a go? Yeah. yeah. I had a go at a wine glass. One of those really thin crystal ones didn't. Well, I couldn't get it to do anything. I, I just ended up just drinking the contents. I think maybe it needs to be empty. And I wasn't going again because I'd fucking blown the, the voice out by the time mm, I tried yes. to do that. So I think it does need to be empty. Yeah, it does. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I'll have another crack. No, I think it's done now. I think those years are done of blowing people's minds. I'm 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 into more of the uh, the gentler uh, singing. I, I still go hard when I have to, but I, I try not to blow it as much as I used to. Yeah, just hard work. It's just too hard. It's just no one needs to hear that anymore. Those days are gone. It sounds like it takes a lot out of you, I tell you that. But you might not have shattered a wine glass, but you certainly shattered some spirits along the way. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. That's a very nice thing to say. It is an absolute honour to have you on. I'm in the luckiest position. I've had all these idols of mine coming on this ridiculous concept of a show. Well, you ask and people, you know, generally people are happy to, to, to do things like this. So that's, that's great, mate. Um, uh, I think they feel sorry. No, no. I had a look at the, um, I had a look at the podcast. It's great. You guys do a great, it's, it's a great little unit of a show you put together. It's fantastic. So why not? You know? Thank you. And it's fun. Like you, we get to review a metal album, which I, you know, I can't say I know that much about. Well, that answers that. I was about to ask, have you had much experience with metal? So No, look, I grew up in the uh, what, the late 80s, 90s was my kind of formative years of music um, as, a, as a pre-teen teen. And, and um, it was, I was very much kind of on the R&B, sort of hip-hop side of things. And, and my metal would have extended to Faith No More, um, a bit of Nine Inch Nails when I got to university. Yeah, I, I do like, and I love those bands, the Trent Reznor and stuff like that. And before that, it was like all that pop metal that no one really cares. On Metallica, I like Metallica as well, which um, I know is, is still, it's on the softer side of things. <laughs> that was about it, really, for me. It's funny you mentioned um, 90s hip-hop. Right before you came into the call, I was kind of almost singing. I was quoting um, Rex and Effects, Rum Shaker. Oh, Rum Shaker. Yeah, because yeah. that's uh, still a classic and still on my playlist. So for some reason, it keeps disappearing from Spotify whenever it's on like a certain album or they, it gets taken off. So I have to keep adding it to my playlist. <laughs> that one song. Is, that, is, it, is it because of the content? It can't be because of the content. It's, it's worse content out there. I have no idea. Doja Cat's writing everything, like everything under the yeah. sun these days. There's no way. That's Rex it. And effects could be offensive. No, <laughs> no. You, you you wouldn't think so. I mean, I think after WAP can come out, like anything goes, anything. It does not matter. That's exactly right. If Cardi B and Doja Cat are okay, then I'm pretty sure uh, um, Rex and Effects is okay. Yeah. So that's how much I know modern rap. I know Rex and Effects, but not Cardi B. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, we'll move on to metal. So this week, Evan, you chose the metal album. Would you like to tell our listeners what you have chosen oh, for us to endure? Well, it, it, it has many names, but yeah, it's the, the 1992 uh, ministry album, Psalm 69, or, oh God, what is it? The Way to Succeed, and or Not to Suck Eggs. Well, how to suck it? Hang on, I have to do that again. I don't know, it came up with... It's uh, got some... a weird-ass name that I can't pronounce. K-E-A-H. Yeah. yeah, and there's an alpha logo and, I, yeah, I don't know what they're going for. I did mean to do the research on that, like where that title came from. But generally people call it Psalm 69 or the way to succeed and the way to suck eggs, which again was 1992. Um, this is before uh, Nine Inch Nails came out with the Downward Spiral. So it's, you know, pioneering industrial, really. 
And uh, yes, I, I freaking love this album. Yeah, well, I'll read my review quickly. Yeah, you, yeah, you tear it to shreds and I'll tell you while you're wrong. Well, I might have loved it. I, I, I highly doubt it. I... You have as much faith in me as your brother. <laughs> I doubt you would love this. Anyways, would you like to hear my review? Of course we would. Far away. Of course you would. All right. <laughs> when I first saw the cover, I wondered if I was about to get touched by an angel. So I pressed play only to find myself being kicked by a demon and not the hunky Melbourne kind in short shorts. As this ministry of sounds continues, I found this 1992 effort to be rather odd, which is surprising since 1992 was the year I decided to wear dresses and play the evil queens or witches in little fairy tale plays we perform in the classroom. <laughs> Kicking off a decade of violence and trauma. As for this album, it certainly was no fairy tale. What is their childhood trauma? I guess it's not all bad. So I've decided to list some pros and cons. Pro, now I know what it'd feel like for a wasp to lay eggs in my ears. Con, not once while listening to this album did a wasp lay eggs in my ears. <laughs> Pro, it ended. Con, it started. Pro, I can now hear dog whistles. Con, I don't own a dog, no matter how many times I write a puppy on the weekly shopping list. Overall, I just... um. I don't know what this is. Is this metal music or actual metal being repeatedly banged with wooden spoons? I just don't get it. I thought you were meant to be the nice brother, Evan. It's just, um, 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 hmm. One star. I don't even know why. <laughs> what the fuck was this album? It was just the same sound over and over and over and over again. We have the Ministry of Sound. Yes, this was just the Ministry of Sounds. That's all it was. Like, was there any sense? What is good about this album? Sorry. That's all you heard was just a big wall of noise coming at you. Yes, constantly for two weeks that I've been listening to this <laughs> album and, and loudly watching the Olympics, watching people fall over while the sound effects played for them <laughs> from this album, which was very comical in that respect. But in terms of music... What? Well, I mean, like I said, they've got they've got many names. Yeah, you know, this, this, this was not for me. Not, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think. I thought it was about time there was a good, you know, growly metal album in the in the truest sense of the word. Not, you know, there's been so many albums that have been, you know, eighties Iron Maiden that kind of stuff, and they've been fun. They've been really campy and fun, and and this was this is proper metal. This is metal, metal. Yeah, yeah. This is the precursor to a lot of a lot of thrash and a lot of uh, you know trauma, trauma, <laughs> lot of problems in the world by the looks of it. Again, it's it's pre death metal. It's pre black metal. It was creative. I appreciated that. Yeah. Okay. For me personally, this album is more a moment in time. It's one of those albums that you know you remember where you were the first time you heard it. And I remember this one quite vividly. 1995, Perth Big Day Out, Fremantle Oval. Primal Scream was just finishing up their set. And we were walking out in the middle of the oval somewhere, going to get something to eat. And just this massive wall of sound comes from the main stage. And everyone stopped and turned and sort of went, what the hell is that? And it was Ministry opening up with just one fix. And we all made a beeline for the main stage. Just going, what is that amazing sound? The Ministry are quite notorious for exceeding the decibel limits. 
that the local council set, and they certainly didn't give a shit that day either. Well, that I appreciate. <laughs> they tore the stage to pieces, blew everyone else away with an incredible performance, and I've, I've been a fan ever since. Mm. Cool. Look, I, I appreciated the creativity that they're experimental. Yeah. That, that was the one stuff. Sorry. You go. And it, well, uh, about a year ago, I was driving home and heard an interview on Triple J, and I'm pretty sure it was to do with the Big Day Out podcast. And there was an interview with Al Jorgensen, and he was asked what his best gig of all time was. And he goes, Perth, big day out, 1995, Fremantle Oval, sun was just setting, everyone just sounded incredible, you know. Uh, yeah, you, I, I remember it vividly, you know, to be at that gig. It was incredible. So that's why I love ministry. I, I saw them live and just fell in love with just the, the brutal wall of sound that came from the front. They are a funny group in which the Al Jorgensen and Paul Barker early on they don't really play as a band. They construct their albums in the studio. It's a lot of samples, loops, drum machines, synthesizers, sequences, and literally physically cutting up pieces of tape and joining them back together. You know, early forms of like film editing, they would do it with audio. And and there's all sorts of crazy, crazy ass sound manipulation. And then they would have to sit there and, you know, learn how to play it as a band and then go tour it. So yeah, they, their albums are way ahead of their time in terms of you know like i said this is late 80s and early 90s and they've you know they've cobbled together some computer some personal pc this is god this is nearly commodore 64 days yeah yeah it's a long time ago you know and they're using computers to to mix where are they from are they are they australian uh, la i was gonna say they sound like they sound like an american kind of metal band but uh, but it's yeah mainly al al Jorgensen and Paul Barker would just sit in a studio and, and just construct things from scratch. Yeah, it felt like it was a. It felt like that kind of that kind of uh, music. It was. It, it didn't seem to have a particular structure at any no. given time. But it was like when it started, it just kind of it goes, it goes, and then TV two. No fucking idea what that was. Like, <laughs> just not sure. But yeah, not sure what that yeah. was. I was just like, uh, what's yeah. going on here? And then it goes into Just One Fix. Now I dug Just One Fix. I, I love that driving kind of guitar. I love that kind of. Yeah. If I'm going to listen to me, I want that driving guitar get, like, the whole time. And even even the whole, like it had, you know, to get, I'm, I'm story based. I had this story about, you know, obviously it's just one fix. It's a drug yes. kind of reference and whatnot. But like the, even the drive through the song, I was like, this is fucking, this is great. This is, and then it kicked on again. To, and then it kicked on to Hero, which kind of, uh, is that, was that what Yeah, next? I think so. Yep. Yep. And that, I, I don't know, that felt real. I loved Spiderbait. So I had a real feel, Spiderbait feel for me. Yeah. I just, that, that was my kind of, it was one of the bands I loved through the 90s yes. going, going to university. Yes, huge Spiderbait fan. And I, felt, I had a lot of, I got a real sort of Spiderbait feel from that song. And then what was that song in between? Imagine this real, not slow. Well, it's like a ballad for them, but it's, um, what the fuck uh, was it called? Like the Scarecrow um, or. No, no, it's not the Scarecrow. It was um... or Psalm sixty nine itself. Um, yeah, see, the, the the first half of the album starts off very, you know, it's very fast and gets faster and faster, and then they go into into more ballads, I guess. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of let me off the hook a bit. I just I, I missed the driving guitar in that one that one song that slowed down the guts of the album. I was like, yeah, don't do that. You don't need to do that. For me, this is personal. I was like, yeah. you don't need to do that. You're you're better off just driving the whole way. And then I found, and then I'm um, Jesus built. I love the the opening, the opening gamut of Jesus built. That's like, what is it? Ding, dingaling, dingaling long, my dingaling, my dingaling long, my dingalong, my dingaling along, long, something like that. Yeah, dingaling along, long. <laughs> yeah, no idea what he's talking, about, but yeah. it's fucking glorious. Yeah. Apparently, he was drunk out of his mind and just going, blah, 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 you know. 
And that's what that's the main lyric, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, why not? If you just you got a good riff, just just sing whatever words. And the interesting thing about that song is the drum signature is different. Uh, timing signature is different than the guitar. Like this is where they've constructed it in the studio and and just played something that would be damn near impossible off the top of your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, well, you know who does that a bit now uh, is um, Gang of Views do that a bit now. The drummer uses a completely different time signature to the rest of the sort of rhythm section and just and then they put it, and you kind of sit there going for a minute working out where the song sits and then and then it kicks in and his vocals kind of hold the similar signature to the drums but maybe half the time if you know what i mean quite clever isn't that sun time that's the sun time of rock the sun time of rock he probably is mate he's such a storyteller i loved scarecrow had a bit of had a real faith no more sort of feel for me it just yep. I got a real sense of that kind of. I would have loved the piano in there. I know it sounds weird, but I just would have no, loved the piano in there. Not at all. We've had some weird instruments in these albums. And Psalm 69 just, it felt, that felt like a fucking theater piece. Yeah. Yeah. It was so theatrical. Like it was so, I know it's, it's got kind of all those biblical references and whatnot, but it's just kind of, it just felt like this huge, they were trying to make this epic, but it didn't quite fucking get there. No. It just felt like it didn't quite get there. And then I kind of dropped out a little bit. And Grace, because I'm a massive Jeff Buckley fan. I couldn't listen to it. I started, I was like, what the fuck is this? What an obscene way to use the title of Grace. Yeah. I'm so upset. I have this problem too with all these songs that they're named after other songs I know. But I've got to say, there's a bunch of songs on here that I really, I quite dug. I really, I sort of got into. I was like, you know, if this was my game, I'd be like, oh yeah, I get what they're doing here. I get where they're going. I could be completely off the mark of what they were actually trying to achieve. But yeah. to my ear, I didn't mind it. Yeah. I, I felt like they were the Blue Man Group of metal. That's what their music come across as, the Blue Man Group. Like it was just weird and experimental and without sort of some linear structure, as as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. There was none. And I think that's maybe why I, it did sort of great on me. And I, I've gone through a lot of metal albums in, in this journey. So I should be a little bit more open-minded than I am. I realized that. I think it's fantastic that you guys are educating each other on your, on your chosen um, form. I think it's brilliant. I'm a bit like Evan. I'm not a massive musical theater fan. Aren't you? No. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I know the shows that I've been in, and that's about a <laughs> it. You've been, been in enough of them. Yeah, um, F. Michael Haney from Broadway, he's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it just, it, I think it was too repetitious for me. Which I know in, in musical theatre we have running motifs and we have <laughs> choruses that repeat themselves. And, you know, in Rent there's the Christmas bell is a ringing that plays all the way through, stuff like that. But I just think because I've had heard so many darker albums that are, are still so good, like the Faith No More album that we did was fantastic. I think that I gave that five stars because there was a running theme through it that I felt like it could have been a concept recording for a musical. Whereas this one, I sort of felt like it was a little bit directionalist, like they were just on a lot of drugs, just banging around in the studio. And I don't know, I, I, I couldn't see what Evan saw in it but i do appreciate that he sees that in it because it is something so incredibly weird and not linear so i support you in liking it ever <laughs> well like i said it was it was you know probably um again this is 92 so there's no internet triple j weren't playing them uh i think just one fix i saw on rage at you know once and and again you're like you're referencing you know it's a drug if you watch the videos it you know tells the story of you know two kids you know, just trying to score, just trying to get somewhere to have it. Yeah, right. Um, I think the video was possibly banned in certain states yeah, just probably. because it depicted drug use. So, so realistically, um, he is a very 
political figure. Um, he's he's got something to say about everything. Um, a very opinionated singer, and and it, it shows a lot in the in the music as well. Um, but yeah, it was more just that I saw them, I knew of them, but didn't know much about them. And unless you actually hang out at the record shops at the time or listen to, you know, Three Hours of Power on Triple J would probably cover it at some point. They're one of those bands that, that it was word of mouth. And, you know, you, you were sort of in the in crowd if you, if you knew them and, and managed to order an album online, not even online, but, you know, having to request a record shop to bring it in because they don't even stock it on the freaking shelves. So, like I said, just seeing them live just converted me. And I just went, this is incredible. What they're doing up there is absolutely fantastic. And, yeah, we were all just blown away, basically. Often that's the way when you see a band live first before you hear their recorded stuff. You just yeah. go, mm. you actually, it almost puts into context what they're doing on the album when you see them do it live. And you go, oh, okay, I understand what this is. So it's really helpful. Some of the best experiences you have when you you discover a band before you hear them on the radio, you discover them yeah. live and you're like, oh, I'm going to follow this band from now on. And and you, and you forgive them for their sins as well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if there's yeah. stuff you don't like, you go, no, I know what they do. I know what they're trying to do and they nearly got that. Yeah, or it's like, oh, you just don't listen to track eight. That's that's fine, you know. <laughs> that's right, yeah, or you skip. There's always albums. There's, there's plenty yeah. of albums where you've got songs you don't, you don't like, you skip over them. There's yeah. tons of those. <laughs> For me, it's the ballads because I'm single. <laughs> Anyways. You are a child of the 80s and 90s, aren't you? There's not many albums where they just have the ballad in the middle anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I've got some comments about that um, when we get to Book of Mormon, uh, but it, it appears that the ministry is unsound. Um, so what would overall, but would you give it a score? Yeah, I would I'd go I, out of 10. I would give would you go out of five or out of 10? Whatever you want. You got five stars here. Okay, I would give it. I would give it three stars. I would say there was enough in there to keep me interested and to keep me like. There's a couple of times I skipped. Say I skipped maybe three of the songs. I skipped through <laughs> after I listened to the first, and then the rest of them I kind of I listened to the end. I, and I figure if you've got me listening to a song to the end, I mean there are albums with some of my favorite artists where I'll skip through their songs. So you yeah. know they're like. That's uh, that's that's three stars. I'll give nice. it three stars. Nice. I'll take that. That's. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. I have pretty eclectic tastes, so I, I, not a lot really. There's not a lot I can't listen to. The only stuff I can't listen to when it comes to metal is the, um, I don't know what, what you call it, but it's the, you know, where they do the vocal. The... Unclean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there is a fair bit of that in this, a li- to a point. It's not as much as it is now these days. I feel like when the bands that do it now, there's a lot more of that. This had some instrumental yeah. moments where I'm like, oh yeah, they're just this is just going to be instrumental, and it's a few a few lines burst in here and there, and you're like, I can cope with that. When it's just mm. screaming the whole time, I'm like, I have yes. a, I don't know what the fuck you're saying. B, I don't even think you do, and like I can't listen to it. <laughs> Whereas like yeah. that, it was okay. It doesn't that doesn't bother me so much. I also think that that's an art form that's quite extraordinary to be able to pull off. Mm-hmm. Like as a singer, I'm like, how are you doing that constantly? I think that's I actually think it's extraordinary. I kind of go. That's extraordinary. People are like, I hate that. I'm like, yeah, but how hard would it fucking be? It's really good. Oh, yeah, to growl like that constant, yeah, for, for, to, for a two-hour show. It's yes. like, it's. A, I know they've got some they've got some enhancers and stuff on their mics, but you still have to do it. You still got to get yourself to the point where you can um, growl, you know, yeah. growl and, and, and yeah. do it successfully for yeah. two hours and, and then go on tour and do it <laughs> every second night. Yeah. It's yeah. like a hardcore. Like, so, you know. Yeah, well, so I think that's the, the difference with... Um, something like ministry is he's he is singing normally and there's a lot of 
effects on the vocals. So you can pick out the lyrics and, and hear what he's saying, whereas you're referencing more your you know your black metal, death metal now, where they are growling at their voice yeah. and you can't understand what the hell they're saying. I think they're asking for a hug. <laughs> <laughs> From their mums. <laughs> but yes, anyway, so we'll move on because, um, as I say, the, the I think the metal has um, finished up with that. I don't know. I, can, I used my pun up, didn't I? The ministry is unsound. So we'll throw to a quick ad break and we'll be back in a moment with Bert Labonte. Coming this summer, winter, spring or fall, the first ever musical theatre sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Day, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So, her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Panto. Frozen. Watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the theatre's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice tights. And we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan. And we're here with Bert Labonte, the greatest voice in Australian theatre. I'm going to say it there. Oh, no, I wouldn't. Start. You, you might have to edit that bit out there, my friend. No, people know. Anyone who listens to this show knows that I'm feisty and will fight my points <laughs> if I know I'm right about something. Um, but it, it's funny because your Twitter bio says that you're the go-to guy for roles of colour. Hey, it's Aaron here. Before you listen to this next part, I make a huge mistake. Just bear with me. Listen to the thing. Hopefully you'll get a giggle out of my idiocy, my scatterbrainness. Uh, and I'll explain at the end of it what my mistake was. Anyways, um, enjoy. In French, Bonte actually means streaks of colour. So it is literally your name. <laughs> Bonté means goodness, doesn't it? No, variegated, which is streaks of colour. So <laughs> he's frantically Googling. <laughs> oh, you might have the accent going the wrong way. Maybe. Yeah, with an acute accent, Bonté means goodness. Oh, does it? Oh, well, it also means that too. Yeah. <laughs> my name actually means the goodness, um, La Bonté. That's, that's oh, that now my, my, thing, my whole... <laughs> Cheeky, borderline offensive. Yeah, no, no, it wouldn't have been offensive, but but I'll I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it with the uh, accent going the other way. 
And we can maybe save your ass here for a second. Let me see if I can help you out. Oh, he's probably correct. He's, yeah, but yeah, it's got the uh, accent the other way around. I do do my research. Sometimes I get things wrong. Yeah. I had a moment like that earlier where I had something I was going to say and then I did a bit more research and went, oh, that doesn't apply at all. Fucking scrap yeah. it. No, I can't help you, mate. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about because it's got... <laughs> I'll have to look it up again. Oh, because... did you not put an accent on the E? Maybe I didn't. And maybe that's why. Let me see that. No, that comes up as goodness as well. Hang on. Let, uh, no, I um, it might wear my computer down to to do it. Well, the, the, where did I find it? I don't know, but tell, I like the I like the story you were going with anyway. Okay, and like the definition was variegated. Pardon me. Variegated. Variegated. Yeah. Hey, it's me again. Just to let you know what I did wrong. Well, if you ask my parents, they tell you everything. Uh, okay. So when I googled just the word Bonte without an accent. It came up at the top was Google Translator, and that's where I got the definition from. However, what I didn't pay attention to was that it said detected in parentheses Dutch. So it was detecting the word as Dutch, and I've just done a Google search now and Googled Bonte, B-O-N-T-E, without an accent, translating Dutch to English, and it came up as variegated. So I am not crazy, and I deeply apologize to Bert for getting that wrong. Anyone who listens to this show should know by now that I am a qualified moron, and you can attend my masterclasses online. Anyways, back to the episode. Well, I'll tell you why I have that on my handle. I was doing a play at Melbourne Theatre Company called Clybourne Park, which was, which is a um, Bruce Norris play, and it's, it's set in Chicago yep. in 1950. Seven and then set in Chicago in two, like 50 years later. Um, and you play two characters in the play. You play a character in the 1957 half of the play and then the second act is in the same apartment block, but 50 years later in um, Chicago when it's become a lot more prevalent with black families living in that area. The review comes out for the show. I can't remember what it was. It was I'm pretty sure it was an online review. I can't even remember who did the review. But it started with... Yeah, well, I was going through the cast and talking about how people's performances were. And Bert Labonte, the MTC's go-to guy for roles of colour, was the beginning. And then they went on to say some lovely things. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Did you really just write that in a review? And I was like, Do I, am I offended? Or am I, no, I'll just use it. I'll put it on my Twitter handle. No, yeah. that'll, be, that'll be good. They literally just called you token. They literally just called me token. Yeah, that's why I've taken the piss out of it in your introduction. Oh, because... yeah, no, I love it. I'm so glad you did. I've got it on my handles for a reason. You know, I know people read it and, and I'm never sure whether they're allowed to say anything about it. I'm like, well, I've, I've put it out there. So, you know, please pick it up and run with it. Yeah. Well, look, I've, I've played more roles that aren't of colour than I have of colour. So, you know, I, I'm okay. I'm, it's okay. I'm happy to play the roles of colour because I am of colour. For those of you listening at home who don't know me, I'm black, um, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> And, and that's okay. I'm okay with it. <laughs> and for the second time in our show's history, we're about to have someone defend Robert Lopez, an actor, <laughs> an actor of colour coming on our show to defend Robert Lopez against mm. accusations of racism. Yes. I am going to be the biggest pariah in this world. <laughs> Everyone's going to accuse me of racism because I'm allowing this. But I don't care because art is art and the writers had context and a voice and we allowed them to yes but we are talking about the book of mormon we are which you played mafala in the australian production i played mafala khatimbi in the australian production uh the australian premiere 
Um, I for me it was a bit of a bucket list kind of gig because growing up uh, I was a massive fan of um, South Park, uh, South Park, and Matt yep, and Trey, yep. all, all of their work, like not just South Park, just Matt and Trey's work. I, yeah, I love Cannibal and just um, yeah, Orgasmo, Orgasmo. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you guys reading my review or what? Can you see my screen? No. What no. the hell? Uh, Carry you know, on. Uh, um, you know, all of that stuff. All their, all those, and all of their stuff is musical. Like all of their people, are like, oh, you wrote a musical, and I'm thinking, what do you mean they wrote a musical? Their whole, all of their stuff is musical. They write musical all the time. Their first film was a musical. That's right. Yeah. I understand there are there have been many folk from the, from the US tours and productions who have come out after they've made thousands of dollars off the back of the production uh, and said that their um, the production is racist and and they, they were offended doing it. I'm like offended after you left, which is you can be offended whenever. You can't tell somebody <laughs> when they're offended. That's a hundred percent okay. And I do. I actually do understand. I understand where the arguments lie in the racism. Yes. If we're going to call it, if we're going to say black and white, is it racist? Yes. In context and out of context, there is racism within this production. A hundred percent. We used to when they wrote this musical. It was a time when you could use that type of racism for the purposes of comedy because that is what matt and trey have done forever yeah and for every not even just um not even just with race with every kind of yeah. every religion every every person no one has has ever been left alone they've yeah. gone after everybody yeah equal opportunity offenders <laughs> why i defend this show is because what the prevalent message at the end of the whole thing is if this is what you need to get through life that's a hundred percent fine and it's yeah. nobody's business and it's nobody nobody should be telling you that this is bullshit or this is wrong it's what you need it's what you you love these guys have a strange sense of faith which is like above the level of people who actually go and you know sit in a church every week they understand faith better than most people because they understand faith is so malleable and it moves and it, it whether you pray to allah god whatever it doesn't matter it's right for you yeah. and you need it and it works for you whether it's physiological or psychological or what then so be it don't let anyone tell you that it's wrong that's the, the overriding message of the whole piece so that's why i think it's genius it's always been genius i mean it's as it's as much offensive to religion it is as it is race but if people are a little bit cleverer and cluier they'd actually realize that the black characters in the show the african characters in the show are the smartest characters in the show like yeah they're driving they understand what's going on yep. and they use it to their advantage the white people are morons in that show from the very start they're caricatures as much as mm. as the african characters are so if it's racism in reverse if it's reverse racism then sure then it, yes it is oh, that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying that the, yeah, i agree with you that the african characters are smartest no no but but, but um, I, I agree with you too and, and i'm like if that's if that's what people are, are offended by then yeah well Okay, but we've had white people telling all the other races of the world for thousands and thousands of years that they're the smartest and, and the best and the richest, and um, and they're proving themselves to be very wrong currently as the world stands. If we just have a mm-hmm. look around, so I don't know. I, I think it's I think they're genius, and I think it's a yeah. piece of genius, and it's a reason that a show like that opened in. I don't know if you ever saw that. There's a documentary of the the making of and when they first were rehearsing it in New York back in 2000. I want to say maybe eight or nine or something like that and they this is the workshop and they came in and they had this cast of people and they, did, they were doing the workshops and the, and the interviews with the some of the um cast i'm just like you know we were there and we're like uh okay sure and they'd sing the words and they'd be like 
we'll, we'll come back in a week and be like, well, none of that will be there anymore. There's no way in hell they're going to be able to do that. And they come back and it's worse and there's more. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, and we just kept coming back to these workshops and we kept going to rehearsals. And then before we knew it, we're at first preview and we we're like, we're going to do this in front of an audience. Yep. We're going to do this in front of people. I'm like, yeah, that would be frightening in America. That would be frightening. Yeah. yeah. In America. Yeah. And they were, there was many cast members who were frightened that people were going to uh, threaten to bomb the theater and, mm-hmm. have, you know, like have threats and protests. And, and then it just went bananas. I saw it in 2013 in New York. And I remember being in there and struggling to breathe, like, because the rolling laughter constantly, because it's happening in front of you and you're watching. It's about that thing like you when you said you saw that band. It's like you're looking around, you're going, you're watching the audience thinking, how is everyone reacting? You can't hear whether people are laughing because you're laughing so loud yourself. Yeah. And then you realize that everyone's doing the same thing and you're like, how is this possible? I won't repeat the lyric, but fuck you, God, in the mm, 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 mm. I'm like, how did you possibly get away with putting that on stage? And the reason is because of Robert Lopez. Yeah. They wrote a flat out, balls out musical, musical, musical in its purest form of a musical with, with, you know, the like every form of song is memorable it has structure it's musical theater old musical style musical theater as well not modern musical theater it's got a few rock ballads in there but it is a classic musical in in every sense of the word with incredible dance numbers and great characters but all the content is where the issues lie (laughs) and that's how they get away with it yeah because they wrote the perfectly structured musical with whatever they wanted to say in their message so i think it's a piece of genius that is I actually took my mum, my conservative mum, on Easter Sunday, and she was doubled over crying with laughter when that book got shoved up his ass. And she didn't realise that that's what we were laughing at. She turns to me when the x-ray was up on the wall, right? She turns to me and she goes, what's everyone laughing at? And I just pointed at it. And, yeah, she was on the floor when when she saw that. But the whole show, she was just crying with laughter. And, and this is a, a, a woman who is 70-something years old now doesn't swear but she watches rupaul's drag race religiously now she's binge watching it so it's a new world we're living in seriously but yeah no i took her deliberately on easter sunday just as a a shits and giggles thing for myself yeah yeah knowing the content that was in it um and it's not just a matter of saying these things that that c word was sung very very loudly 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 very loudly and passionately at the end of that so um which I have a question for for the religious performers. Oh, there were there were tons and tons in our cast. Like a lot, a lot of the, well, most of the North Americans that came over were um, God abiding, uh, you know, uh, Christians. And uh, and I actually we had we, we had those discussions. I'm like, how do you? I mean, I had one of the one of our female cast from America. Her father was a, a minister. Her family were over. They came over and they came and saw the show. They hadn't seen it in America and they saw it in Australia. I said, how did they go? She said, they loved it. They thought it was great. You know, they thought it was funny. And they understand that it is, they understand what it's doing. They understand what it's doing. Oh, good. Mm. It's satire. It's in its purest form. Yeah. And they can reconcile themselves with saying what they say on stage because they're playing characters. They're not playing themselves. It's not Bert. It's Mafala Hatimbi. And, you know, that's where there's always got to be 5% of your brain that is the human not the character because if you are 100 percent in character you're dangerous that's a shout out to daniel day lewis <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible oh well did it, a priest ever come in and bless the theater i don't think so or exercise it i don't think so i don't think we ever had that no 
no. Well, Evan, as as team musical, I know you weren't too familiar with this. So team uh, team metal. Uh, sorry, did I say team musical? Sorry, you did yeah. Uh, team yeah. metal, and you had to listen to it. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I again, I, I'm a, I was aware of it. I've always wanted to see it and and missed it when it came because it, it has been to Perth, and that you would have been in that show. No, I did Melbourne and Sydney. I did I did two and a half years from Melbourne and Sydney, and then I'd I'd had enough. Yeah, we get the big stars in Melbourne and Sydney, and once the shows go to Brisbane, <laughs> yeah. Perth, or Adelaide. No, I've got to say, most of the cast, most of the cast oh, were still I... were still in Perth. Yeah, there was oh, a lot really? of the cast that, that stuck around. My father was smart and stayed home. I had done eight hundred and three yeah. performances, and I was I was that was enough. Oh wow, that's a slog. That is a slog. Again, you guys have been reading my screen. I swear. So yeah, this Book of Mormon. Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Robert Lopez, who apparently was snatched from Avenue Q, which is another one I have seen um, or listened to. And and also has been defended on this show against racism. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So, yeah. So, yes, I've always been a huge fan of, of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I've been watching South Park since it was on late night SBS from season one. Um, been, you know, avidly watching it ever since. Uh, I find them both hilarious. I will watch anything that they put out. Obviously, I've seen Orgasmo, Cannibal the Musical many times, which both heavily feature Mormons. So this show really was inevitable. It was a given. Pretty much, yeah. So, but I do, I do have a real problem with this musical in the fact that why aren't all other musicals half as good as The Book of Mormon? It's achieved something that no other musical I, I've had to listen to so far has come close to doing, in which it tells the full narrative within the lyrics. Most musicals so far that I've I've listened to, we'll ramble along and the character will go on about, he's sad about something. And they'll sing for four and a half minutes about being sad. And four and a half minutes later, all that's progressed is the fact that he's sad. And nothing's moved forward. They've just sung about a moment in time and then, you know, shoved a play in between. Matt and Trey have managed to advance the story with every song and within the songs, rather than just have a play broken up by music. This production, you can actually listen to start to finish and not just get the gist of it, but it tells the whole story in song. Each song is relevant. Each song is necessary. And this is ignoring the comedy, ignoring how funny as hell this is. Everything about the music itself is brilliantly done. The arrangements, the key changes, the structure of the songs, the use of ensemble. It's all incredibly clever. And, you know, I knew they were clever, but this just proves it beyond a doubt um every song is excellent there is not a bad song in here obviously turn it off is an absolute classic and a favorite but every song is skillfully crafted and exceptionally sung and essential for the show all the performances are brilliant as and touching on your point earlier this is a musical that knows what it is it is a big dance number jazz hands unashamedly musical you know, it, it set out to be a musical and it mm-hmm. achieved it. Like every song you could listen to out of context and know where it's from. Uh, even if you're sort of a passing fan, you go, oh, that has to be from Book of Mormon. They, each song, they, yeah, they have a theme. They set out to do something and they did it as usual. And I like the fact that rather than do reprises, even though there are reprises on on the album, it's more a callback which, you know, I love it when comedians do it. Just like the maggots in my scrotum line. I saw that coming a mile away. It was still piss funny when they did it. And I'd be upset if they didn't do it. <laughs> I'm going, hang on, it's getting near the end of the album. He's due for one more. Mm-hmm. They've got to finish it. And sure enough, it came. 
Um, I think that was based on a true story. I was reading there was something. More than likely. Well, everything they do is based in a, a factoid somewhere. Yeah, they kind of do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the you know all the all the statistics throughout the show that 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 are, that are spruced are spot on, and nothing yep. that they say from the from the book, obviously, um, Elder uh, uh, Crikey, Elder, my God, I only did it for three years. Elder Price and Elder, you mean Cunningham? Yeah, he makes up some stuff, but the rest of the stuff is just like it's it's all factual. It's all based on fact. And I think the planet things made up too, if I remember correctly. Which one? Mormons have their own planet or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's what you get. You know, after you die. Yeah, your your, your own planet. Your own, yeah, your own planet. Yeah. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. But even in um, Cannibal the Musical, they were traveling west with Elder Young. This musical was coming right from the very start. It's been in the back of their mind all along. Long time ago. Um, and, of course, once again, there's no bloody pro shot. No. Which is a travesty. I know. And I did read an interview somewhere that there is a pro shot sitting oh. in a drawer somewhere. It needs to be released. Really? Yeah, they did do one. It, it's just sitting somewhere. But there's still... They're still, you know, trying to put the show on. The Lincoln so, Center, right. Sorry okay. to cut you off. Lincoln Center always film for archival purposes. Yes. And they also do promotional footage, um, but the archival footage is not necessarily for public consumption. Yes. No, I did actually see, um, I did a bit of hunting around, I did actually see, apparently there is a pro shot sitting in a drawer somewhere. I think it needs to be released. This piece of art shouldn't be allowed to disappear. It's not far fair to the general public. It's not fair to the history of musicals. Matt and Trey have been plugging away at this kind of thing for years with Orgasmo, having a good go at Mormons, obviously Cannibal Musical even before South Park came along, they were originally juxtaposing Mormons in unlikely situations, uh, you know, porn stars. <laughs> but then with South Park, South Park did a Mormon episode showing that it's funnier just to let Mormons be Mormons, doing Mormon things. <laughs> being nice to people. <laughs> yeah, they, they win by just being nice. Yeah, South Park itself, you said earlier, South Park itself is full of some masterfully crafted songs, big dance numbers and clever lyrics that have been littered all throughout its history. And that all accumulated here with their opus, The Book of Mormon. I I have to break the rules. I'm giving it a six out of five. Oh, Oh, wow. Wow. This, This is easily the greatest musical ever written. In my short history of listening to musicals, <laughs> I only have a small sample size, but you do. Oh my god, it's good, and it's good structurally, musically, ignoring the comedy. It is amazingly done. I, I, yeah, I could not speak any more highly of it. This is your fourth episode, and already you have. I know. Not just gone a five stars. Well, there is a reason. Gone a six stars. Isn't that a bit too soon? Typical straight man coming too quickly. There is a, <laughs> there is a reason why it is the great, the highest selling musical of all, highest grossing musical of all time. You know, the the cast album. Uh, got into the top three albums, something like that, that they broke records all over the place. And there's a reason for it, because it is so good. Um, Until Hamilton came along. Really? Has Hamilton made more money than this? Probably, yeah. I think it would have by now, yeah. But it'll probably slow down now because of COVID, because it's had a long time off, so yeah. It has, hasn't Um, it? But um, (laughs) Hamilton prices are also twice as much as Book of Mormon prices. So the demand is... (laughs) twice as great but yeah and, and funnily enough at the, at the end of what i've the end of my uh, review i've i've just put a note of infant rape I'm like yeah we you need to discuss the uh there is some then some topics in there it was the one that, it was the one bugbear for most people that saw it was that that moment and it's like yeah and and yeah i do a bit of 
you know, a bit of research. And, you know, of course, there's there's facts behind what they're addressing. Mm. You know, they... Oh, it's the truth. So so in that part of the world, when they, when they were diagnosed with AIDS, they would, they honestly God believed that if they had sex with a virgin, their mm. AIDS would disappear. That was sort of, that was the yeah. a, a, a theory. And the only yeah. virgins that were around that weren't young women were babies. So they would they would have sex with babies or short young children. Yeah, well, I mean that that myth itself um, is actually goes worldwide and goes goes well back to the, something like the 16th century. They would believe that that sex with virgins would uh, you know cure whatever ailment you might have. Well, ailment you've got, yeah, 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 and all based in all based in, in the back of religion. Yeah, but and I, I know, like, I know that's another one of those ones where it's like I know why pe- people. I mean, absolutely, when you hear it, it is just like it is shockingly. It's shocking. But a, he doesn't. He, the character never does do it. But also, b, <laughs> that's the reality of that part of the world at that time when they were going mm. through those things. And if you don't want to, that, it's for me what it is is it's it's middle class culture and society going. Oh no. Oh no! I'm like, well, oh yeah, that's actually what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, you're sitting here very comfortable in your hundred and sixty-five dollar seat in the theater. Yeah, and you're shocked and appalled by it because someone said it out loud. But you've been happy to bury your head in the sand and not actually ever, you know, read into it or look into it ever before in your life. So you they're know, not getting on a plane and going. No, over there. you can't. You're not going to help her. You're not going to to work in a missionary. So don't don't judge. Just 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 listen. And be appalled, a hundred percent be appalled, but yep. you can't be offended because you don't live it. Yeah, yeah, and that that is classic South Park Matt and Trey yeah. sort of style of they'll want to uh, point at a topic that they believe should be highlighted, and yep. then will you know make a joke about it while they're at it, but clearly you know shoving it in your face and going you know this this needs to be addressed addressed yeah. and and looked at and yep. and if this is how that we get our message out then this is how we get our message out by putting it in a, a comedy or putting it in a musical and to their credit they and, went and, to when they got to um uh, when they got to uganda and they got they went to oh which town did they go to they went to a part of uh uganda where they wanted to base the show mm-hmm. uh, and it was a little bit too western it was a little bit too oh they were a bit it was doing better than they expected right. where they thought they were going to base a show on their previous research. So they went further west and they found, it's not called Kitgali, but they named the place Kitgali, but the place it was based on, they found a, a little city and a little, a little town and that was where they saw the degradation and the, the stuff. Yeah, and they're like, mm. but but the way that people live, they just live day to day and they're, they're not really, I mean, there's violence, there are, the, you know, the guerrilla gangs that come around and rape and pillage and do all that sort of stuff. But the actual people are quite happy people. They just, they've got nothing. They've got yeah. mm. just what they've got with them and, and they get by and they're, and they're not upset and they're not angry and they, you know, but they, they're always on the edge that something bad could go wrong anytime. It's like, wowzers. They, so they, they did their, their due diligence. They went and looked at all these places and they went there and they, they had a look and, yeah. Yeah. They, they, their research is pretty extraordinary. I must say, one of my favourite parts was that dead cow that got dragged across the stage. <laughs> I don't know why. No, I love it too. It so funny. It was so funny. I love um, it too. Okay. So, yeah, see, I still haven't actually yeah, watched right. it. I, I'm, I'm holding out to... Um, I, I respect this that much just by listening to it that I'm holding out for it to maybe one day come back. Oh, I think it will. I think it will. Yeah. And, and or, or have an opportunity to go and see it. The tour in um, WA, I think, was cut short, I've got a feeling, because of COVID. They were supposed to go to Brisbane from there 
and then Brisbane. No, no, it didn't. No, you, they did Perth, they did Brisbane, and then they got to New Zealand, and New Zealand got cut short. But it was due to come back to Australia and do more of Australia. Oh, cool! I'd love to see it again. I'll take my nephew. He's eleven. I did read they were trying to. They're still trying to put it together, and but yeah, people keep closing borders. Yeah, that's a diggy boy. Tell me about it. No, that's terrible. <laughs> I was listening to that song the other day while watching the swimming, and we kept losing races. And I'm thinking it's because I was listening to Book of Mormon <laughs> at the time. So sorry to the Australian swim team. <laughs> that was my fault that you lost that day. Uh, but one one bit I absolutely loved was the spooky Mormon hell dream. Obviously, the whole song and everything going on and all that you know, Johnny Cochran and all these characters coming out. But what I loved about it the most was that that set looked like a scene out of South Park. That song was literally in there as an episode. It's like a mini episode of South Park. Yeah. So I'm, I'm right. Like that, the set design, like the, the, the arches yeah. that you had, yeah. everything. When you looked at that, I, the first thing, I think I said it out loud, holy shit at South Park on the yeah, stage because yeah, it was yeah. visually perfect it felt it felt it sounded felt like it was it was literally a a mini episode of south park that that song it was uh fun to play fun to do it was hard work that song for the ensemble was one of their hardest moments in the show late in the show and physically one of the most demanding to dance and sing at the same time so they would come off and we and you know Two and a half years in, they were still absolutely gasping at the end of it. And normally you get what's called show fit. Mm. You show fit, that's fine. But it doesn't that, yep. that song never got any easier. Ever. Ever. Wow. That's sort of not not at the end either. It's right in the middle of the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's well, at least in the second act. Um second act, halfway through the second act, yeah. yeah. Speaking of the second act, I, I do have a slight problem with it because as I've talked about many times before, I'm quite antsy and I can get bored during ballads. I feel like the three songs in a row, even though they're played for comedy, they're too slow for me. So I I end up skipping from I Believe, and I'll sometimes listen to the baptism, but I'll typically come in at at Joseph Smith, American Prophet, because, I mean, that that number itself and the way it played out in the show where they're, oh, my God, fathers, where they think that they're they're telling the, the Book of Mormon story and they're not. Um, and the, the, the officials are <laughs> mortified or whatever, but and then they all start fucking and oh my godfathers, that's just <laughs> and put strap on cocks. Oh, your magical fuck frog. Oh god, I was pissing myself. Yeah, well it, it's funny that. though, because you, you said yeah. to me that people are always trying to tell you what the writers are trying to say with this show. So what were they trying to say with frog on his clit face? <laughs> because that lyric has come from the same place that gave us my fair lady, the king and I. Guys and dolls. <laughs> Frog on his clit face. I love it. Absolutely love it because it's so outrageous. And it comes from the same place they gave us. Yeah. The well, classics. The classics. You know, it, it's just a, a sign of progress and um, the bullsiness of these guys who, like, I, I don't watch South Park anymore, but I did when, when I was younger. But that movie, South Park, Bigger, Logger, Uncut, is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant, and I think it, it won a, an Oscar. Oh God, that's going back a bit. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine, I think it was two thousand or, mm. or something like that. Alrighty, I think we can close the Book of Mormon and say hello to a commercial break. Back in a moment. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees. Did you know that you can support our show 
and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time, go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Crack, thud, the human trips over the uneven ground as the Twanimal blows out the lantern. Watch your step, Kapoor says a little too late. Why did you put the light out? Bollycosh, an open flame near hay bales? And here I thought you were smart, sir. Toniston agrees with how silly he must have sounded. What are we doing out here? The boy asks as they blindly walk around the side of the house, where they're greeted by giant shadows rising up above them. Unable to properly see in the pitch-black darkness, Toniston presumes they are the three hay bales. He looks around. The plains are vast and the spotlights out in the distance, now a purple colour, seem to be too far away to bring any real light to them. They do, however, look very pretty dancing on the rippling oceanic sky. Stand back, the silhouetted cub paw warns with his gruff but friendly voice, clearly able to see in the darkness better than the human who had constantly refused to eat his carrots. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Now, I would like to know why, and I know you're not responsible and you're, you are not the go-to guy for Rolls of Colour. However, <laughs> why have we never had a Dreamgirls tour of Australia with yourself, Kurt Cansley, Casey Donovan, Prinny Stevens, and Paulini? I, 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 I couldn't <laughs> tell you. Well, I'm putting it out there now. I want it. Yeah, I, I think there was talk of that, of Dreamgirls coming, but I think... Um... Please, can you follow me on Twitter? You're the producer in the UK. Bring it to Australia, please. Sorry. Yeah, I think I think it's... Um, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I think there was, there's been talk about it before and, and since. And look, now, I mean, that's a wonderful cast to see you put together, but you, you could cast the show several times now in Australia. We've got the yeah. amount of emerging talent. Um, I know, yeah. Uh, particularly coloured talent coming out of, of the musical theatre schools is unbelievable. And, you know, uh, it's gone through a real sort of restoration, I want to say, you know, where, where you're now not look, just looking around going, well, who are we going to get it for this show? We can't do this play because... There is so much talent, you know, and Hamilton is a, a perfect example. Like the cast that they put on stage, an all Australian cast to be put on stage yep. with that level of um, diversity is phenomenal. And it wasn't even that hard. No. Like they had a lot more people to choose from as well. So, yep. and I think they, they, they hit a very young cast, but I think they hit it really well. I think they, they, they mm-hmm. smashed it, in fact. And I think it's, you know, credit to them and, um, the industry, it's, which is which is great, because they're they, more the more young people that see uh, more people like themselves on stage feel like that that's achievable, and then more emerge, and that's where we get to, and we get to, you know, our our stages and our screens starting to look a bit more like what the supermarket looks like, yeah. you know, as opposed to everyone thinking that the entire country looks like home and away, you know, because it doesn't. I mean, no. They have tried to change a little bit, but it's still pretty white. 
Yeah. But it's, um, that's okay. That's that's their demographic. They, you know, the Brits want to see suntan people, and that's the only people that are watching the fucking show. So that's fine. They can they can have them. Mind you, we have the best tan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see the sun at all. I, I work nights. Yeah, right. I work nights. I haven't seen the sun in, in good 25 years, um, which it, my wife comments, you know, that, that's why my skin is so so nice and soft and supple. So, oh, that's good. A thrash metal man who's very, you know, who's very sensitive, who has very sensitive skin. I can see it. You might rash up in the mosh pit though, mate, if, you're, if it's too sensitive. Now, your um, background's Mauritian. Correct. My parents are from Mauritius. They've been here... They came out in 67, mum and dad, right uh, right as the, the white Australia policy was shut down by golf, they came out. So yeah, literally when the gates were opened, they came. Awesome. I, I was a, um, at a 50th anniversary of the independence of Mauritius. Why? Because um, oh, I, I got maybe about five or six friends from there that yeah, I've right. okay, made okay. over the years. And yeah. um, I was very drunk and made my way. And they were celebrating their 50th anniversary. So I decided to celebrate with them. Oh, my, well, I'm born here. My, myself, my two older sisters, we're all born. Yeah. We're all born in Oz. But uh, mum and dad have been here since 67. And yeah, and, you know, we've had a great life. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, uh, anyways, now. I was going to say, have you ever been, have you ever been, you ever managed to travel? Yeah, I've been, uh, look, I haven't been there for 20 years, but I've been twice. But um, my my eldest, I've got an almost eighteen year old and a thirteen uh, year old, and they're both like, "Dad, when are we going to Mauritius?" I'm like, "Yep, yep." We're going. And I'm married to a, um, an Australian. My wife's Australian. Eight, yep. When I say Australian, eighth generation, you know, good convict stock. I think the first and second fleets, they her family came out wow. on. So you know, all thieves, all thieving bastards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so we're we're looking to go at some point, but you know. We were supposed to be in New York and then potentially coming back from, from New York to Mauritius uh, about 18 months ago, but that all went to shit, obviously. So we'll just yep. wait and see how the world pans out over the next couple of years and hopefully we'll get there at some mm-hmm. point. It looks bloody gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I mean, look, it's, it's third worldy in parts, but it's, um, it's true. It's very paradisical. Like it's, you know, it's absolute paradise yep. and the beaches are crazy, but it's tiny. It's freaking tiny. You can get across the whole place in a day. Yeah. You can drive across Mauritius right. in one day. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, okay, so obviously you've you've taken part in some of our um, biggest productions with you know, Book of Mormon, and you're in the Guys and Dolls tour. Now, what has been your experience with standing ovations? Because we've had a, an ongoing discussion on this show, and I found that Americans are giving slightly different answers to Australian guests because in America they're very um, they expect it all the time. They expect it and the yeah. audiences think it's given have you noticed this change in australia mm, it depends on the show i feel like yeah. uh we got a lot of standing ovations from mormon mm-hmm. not every night we got not every night but we got a lot because the way i put it is in, in america yes they stand they they expect to be to be stood for and the audiences stand and it's a it's a it's courteous it's respectful it's what they do right yeah. in a, if you come to australia that's not the way we do things here if no. you earned it, we'll get up. If you didn't, we still it doesn't mean we hated the show, mm-hmm. but we just didn't think it was fucking amazing. Yeah. And if we think it's fucking amazing, we'll get up. And that's what we do in Australia. So when an Australian audience stands, you know you, it was really good. Yeah. You know, except for opening nights, because we do stand on opening nights mm-hmm. uh, to say, congratulations, well done, you got the bloody thing up. And thank you for my free tickets. Yeah, and it's a huge achievement and all that sort of stuff. And that's 
that we stand on opening night. But mid-season, if it's no good, I'm not yeah. stand up for you. Like, uh, like I know how hard it is to do, but if you didn't nail it, you didn't nail it. That's okay. That's okay. That's the beauty of theatre. But you're not always going to smash it out of the park. And that's why I think if you st- stand for everything, then you, know, it just muddies the waters of what's good and what's really good. Thank you. Shit. Yep. I tell you, every Broadway legend we've had on the show has said exactly this, that it, it has diluted it along the way that you guys want to feel like you've earned it, not... Absolutely. Had- so in Australia, particularly, you know, I do a lot of straight theatre as well, a lot of um, just plays. And so if you get an audience to stand for a play, well, hell, hallelujah, like, you, you know, you know you've nailed it because they don't stand very often for plays. No. Like it's much harder to get an audience on their feet. Uh, opening nights even, they... they reluctantly stand yeah. if you come back out for a third round of bows. Reluctantly, they'll get up and go, all right, yes, you got it on. Well done. Well done, you. <laughs> um, but uh, I agree. I don't think they should stand unless they feel compelled to stand. And that's yeah. why occasionally you'll get in Australia, you'll get like, you know, pockets of 10 and then 20 over there and like a whole row there or some at the back, not the entire audience, because those people were genuinely compelled and moved and some of the others just really liked it and, and then some people just can't be asked. Yeah. They're, they're like, we've fucking sat here for two and a half hours. I'm too tired. I'm not standing up for you. Yeah. I paid to be here. Yeah, you paid work. to sit here. They're running for the toilets at yeah. any point. <laughs> My favourite is when you think people are standing to give you an ovation, they're actually just heading to the car park to get out as fast as they can because <laughs> <laughs> they want to beat the traffic out of the car park at the outset. Yeah. <laughs> that is our favourite. I tend to wave at them as they're leaving. Like, I love I love that. It's kind of like, oh, look, I, I'm, I feel you. It's like being at the MCG and you want to get yeah. out real quick because – why the fuck mm. you would drive and park at the MCG is beyond me, but like, you know, it's very similar. Yeah. See, I go the exact opposite. At the end of the show, I'm quite happy to put my feet up and just wait around for everyone else to piss yeah. off. Everyone else to go. <laughs> no, I'm gonna take my time and have an easy and have an easy run out. I thought I'd turn my phone off. Yeah, now just on the art center, one of the shows <laughs> I had seen you on there was the twenty-fifth at your Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, which was probably one of the, the most solid casts of Australian musicals I've seen that had yes. Mar- Marina Pryor, Tyler Copen, uh, Coppen, um, Magda Zubinski, I believe it's correctly pronounced. Correctly pronounced. Well done, Zubinski. Very good. Thank you very much. I also say Mount Kosciuszko. Uh, yeah, yes. And Hawaii is the correct term for Hawaii. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, so can you tell our listeners what exactly Syzygy is? Oh, shit. Since it starts off the show. Syzygy, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember the meaning uh, of Syzygy. Syzygy. I, I think I can spell it. I think so. Syzygy. S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. Very good. We have a winner, as I say, at the start of that album and show. It's the alignment of three celestial bodies. So the Earth, Moon, and the Sun. That is correct. All the together. Syzygy. Yes. So I, I thought very heavily about what stupid question from Putnam am I going to ask you? That's a good one. Thank you very much. If we were in an alternate dimension, what would your other self be doing instead of acting and blowing our minds with that friggin' voice? I'd be playing sport of some kind. I was, uh, I had a crack at playing AFL uh, when I was younger. I made a, a supplementary list for North Melbourne when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was okay. I was, I was good enough to get on that list and 
run around with them for eight to ten weeks, but I you quickly discover that there are eight hundred other kids <laughs> at the same level as you, mm-hmm. and you need something a little bit more special, a bit more sparky. Yeah. You know, to make it an elite sport, it's not dissimilar to what we do for a living. It's there are hundreds of people trying and attempting, and most of them are good, like really good, and some of them are excellent. Mm-hmm. And then there are the elite, and it's hard to stay there as well. You might do two or three incredible performances and then you get cast on a whole bunch of things and everyone's expecting you to get to that level every time and you don't or you, you don't have it in you anymore. You you peaked really early and your career kind of peters out. Similar in sport, you may have you know a season of unbelievable football and then you can't ever repeat it again. You know, There's a guy who won a Brownlow medal uh, and never got even close to that form. Every, shame my word, not if anyone follows the footy, but he was going to be one of the greatest players in the history of the game. Won a Brownlow very early in his career, and then just I think the pressure got to him, and he's kind of fizzled out really. And, and um, I, I feel like uh, it would have been sport for me if it was going to be something else. But I, I have so many similar pathways with both of those things that I've done in my life that I can sort of lean on. But but I'm really happy. I still am obsessed with every sport under the sun. I still play a lot of sports. I still play a lot of tennis and a lot of basketball, and I play golf and I have a kick of the footy when I can my both my sons play so I go and train with them often and and I still have visions of myself you know running out for Carlton one day and <laughs> I still think it's possible at 46 I still think I could maybe get drafted one day but uh no I I love what I do I I you would not be in this game unless you loved it and I've got to the point now in my career where I just want to enjoy it I really want to kind of sit in it and enjoy it and not yeah. I don't stress about work anymore I don't stress about the job I'm doing, even if it's really hard. I was just on a play, which unfortunately got postponed to next year. But yeah, I was about to ask about that. Yeah, Raising the Sun's been pushed to next year because of COVID, obviously, in Sydney. Yep. Sydney's a disaster at the moment. So, and it is one of those roles where it, it would it will it will be the hardest role that I will play to this point in my career when I eventually do it. Even that was in two weeks on, on Zoom rehearsals, but I loved it. Like it was, but I also enjoyed it. I enjoy that that kind of hard work. That's why you do it. Sometimes you do a gig and it's like, I've got the cushiest gig in the world. I've got to do this for 12 months. It's really lovely. Like I don't have to think too hard about this because I can focus on what else I'm doing. And then sometimes you just want to sink your teeth into the toughest challenge that you can find and see how you go. And that's Mm -hmm. also the enjoyment. That's the fun of it. That's why we do what we do. If you just want to do cushy, cruisy gigs the rest of your life, then that's great, but I just don't find, I don't think I'd find that very appealing or satisfying at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, you've just answered two questions in one because I was well, about to ask what sorts of roles <laughs> do you stay away from, but clearly ones that are possibly too easy for you. Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm, I am in a position now in my career, and I don't say this with any kind of like, uh, look at me, but I, where I can comfortably sort of feel like I can say thank you, but no thank you to. Yep. to some things uh, and not out of disrespect for the role or, or the people that are putting it on just because you don't want an actor who's going to be bored or going to be yep. so, and there are plenty of actors who want to do that role and be and they're happy to just be chill and bored and doing that for yep. eight months and just earning the coin and that's they can have it like that's fine i don't have an issue with that i'm not <laughs> judging them for that good on them that's where they're at in their careers but i don't i'm not there yet Maybe when I'm in the 60s or 70s and I just want to have a little bit of retirement coin, maybe I'll do those roles. But right yep. now, that's not where, where I'm at. You so, mean the residuals yeah. from Pirates Island isn't going to keep you going through retirement? <laughs> I don't think we will. No. No. I don't think it will. Fun, fun gig, though. Fun job to do. Yep. Uh, Evan, do you have any questions? Uh, yeah, only, well, 
you know, you, you're the musical expert and, and, and know this guy's yeah. career and everything. And, you know, I have to sit here and frantically research. You don't. <laughs> well, I like to do a bit. I like to do. Um, but yes, as playing Mafala in Book of Mormon, you had the honor of delivering the, the maggots in my scrotum line, which I think is the caps off the whole show. Um, you know, that running gag just. Was it? Yeah. Mafala? Yeah. No, no. Who had the maggots? Oh, I hope no, so. It was no, another it's, guy. It's the, it's the doctor. Oh, seriously? The doctor, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got that wrong. Your your whole question's wrong. You're fired. My, yeah, my, no, no, it's still it's still fine. It's still fine. It was just the fact that you had to learn, or you had to put on an African accent for that role. Yeah. Yes. Um. And yeah, you know, so I was I was more wondering, you know, did you have to sit down and 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 learn an African accent? And and what other accents do you have up your sleeve from doing oh, shows? Accents, I have quite a few, and um, I I will not be doing any of them for you. Uh, <laughs> no, we're not paying you to perform, Bert. I cannot no, afford your no. fee. Unrehearsed on on your podcast, but I've got it. I I um accents are all about your ear, like uh. You'll find a lot of people in musical theatre do really, really good accents because they have ears that are tuned to music. And so often when you're learning an accent, it's the musicality of the accent where you can pick up the, yeah. the hints of how to do that accent. So musical theatre people are really, and I'm, I, I don't even count myself in that category as some of the friends who've actually studied musical theatre, they are really good at accents, like really good at picking up the American um, twangs, you know, Western, like way out West, um, you know, Russian, all those things, because, because it's so musical well, language and sound, they pick that up with their ears because they're singers and find a lot of straight actors who are horrendous at accents, really <laughs> terrible. They've got great context. They can, they can dissect the script to, to of its life and be incredible, do incredible performances, but their accent work isn't great. So they need a lot yeah. more work. You, you, you can work with some really good people who give you great exercises to find a place in your mouth to position yourself for those sounds. African accents, I mean, mine was kind of based loosely on uh, sort of Nigerian, even that wasn't Ugandan. Um, they're, they're not too far away from each other, Uganda, Ethiopia, Nigeria. So I was uh, lucky enough to have a neighbour who was um, Nigerian, so I kind of just based my accent on, on him. And, mm -hmm. you know, occasionally I would get into... Eastern Europe, if you, <laughs> there'll be times where I'd be like, mm, that sounded very like Baltic. That didn't sound anything like I was in Africa, but that's a, you know, you know, when you're going at speed and the show's going on, once you've got, you've hit the first few notes of a show, of a show like that particularly, the audience forgives you. If it's, if it's uh, the, the Chicago accent I had to do, I have to do for Raising the Sun, it's quite specific and that you have to really sit in it and sit on it the whole time. You can't, you won't get away with messing that up. If you like, because it's 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 kind of part of the um, the core of the character. So yeah, and and certainly with uh, Book of Mormon, I was thinking there'd be a fine line you tread between pulling off a convincing accent and sounding stereotypical, and you know you yeah, they're trying to be tongue in cheek, but that's you know, right. I also don't want to go too far. You don't want to go too far, but it's if it's if there's one show you'll get away with it a little bit. It's that show because yeah. <laughs> you are a representation of an idea of. A race does yeah. that make mm. sense like, yeah yeah um it's not they're almost happy for you for the integrity of it to be not perfect because they don't want the audience to believe that these people are ugandan they just want them to believe that if you were ugandan and you lived in this place this is what your life would be like so yeah. you kind of get away with it a little bit but everyone worked pretty hard to make sure that they had similar ballparkish 
sounds. Yep. We had mm. words that we would say that were repeated through the show. We would all have the same tone for those words. We'd say we'd have the same phonetic sounds for those words so that we all sounded like we were from the same region. Um, and then nice. everything else is kind of up for grabs. But if there was words that were re- repeated often, we would say them the same way. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, now a fun question. Dreamcast, your biographical musical, La Bonte, with an exclamation mark, with actors from 30 years ago. Oh. <laughs> oh. Playing me, okay. <laughs> Thirty years ago, what what does that take us to? That takes us to nineteen ninety. The eighties. Takes us to nineteen ninety. Oh, it does shit. It does too. It takes us fucking nineteen ninety one. Oh my god. In that case, I'll just have Denzel. That's fine. That's easy. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, to play my wife, I would have uh, Julianne Moore. Yeah. Who else would have to cast? Who else would, would uh, 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 your MTC director, since you're their, their go-to guy, apparently. So I don't know who would be your most common MTC director. Oh, oh, it would have been it would have been um, uh, probably I've done most plays with Simon. So who would play Simon Phillips? Oh uh, yeah, Simon Phillips. Yeah. From who would play Simon Phillips? It'd be somebody like um. Oh shit, I don't know. Maybe. Well, you know, if you don't get cast by him again, you know why. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe could play because he was a kid. Because yep. he's a Kiwi. Simon's a Kiwi. So thirty years ago, he's a Kiwi. So yeah, Russell. Yeah. Russell could play. Cool. All right. Uh, and now, no. What's one performance from your youth that you would want a second chance at? Oh, that's a really, really good one. So from before you were twenty-five, let's say. I think I would like another crack at. Uh, I did a play called I did Measure for Measure, which was one of the first sort of things I did at Melbourne Theatre Company. Yeah. Uh, I would love another crack at that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Like looking through your stage, like stage stuff, I've noticed that there's not much in terms of revivals. You seem to do a lot of original stuff, which I, I think is fantastic. Guys and Dolls was probably the only. Yeah, it was a UK, but even then it was a, it was a UK sh- show that came to Australia and yeah. we, were the, we were kind of the original cast for Australia. Um, Marina and Lisa and Magda and Shane Jacobs. Gary McDonald and, and um, Wayne Scott Kermond. Yeah, another killer cast. Yeah, it was it was crazy cast. Ian like it was it was um yeah, it was amazing. It was great to be a part of. It was made a lot of love, like, great friends from that too. And yeah, yes, you're right. It's, I've been I have been really lucky like that. I've been really lucky to have to have been um in a bunch of Australian premieres and sometimes world premieres in this country and yeah. um. Oh, I, I put it down to I've been lucky in my career as well, but at the same token, you yeah. kind of you create a bit of your own luck. You've got to, you know, what sometimes what you know and who or who you know or who you've worked with gets you in the door, but what you know kind of keeps you there. And I, I feel yeah. like I come across as being very laid back and lackadaisical and like you know, not non-caring, but like my heart rate doesn't get above sixty when I'm working. But mm-hmm. I do, I care infinitely about this this industry and. The work yep. I do, and and I know that directors I work with know that I care about what I do, and and I think sometimes I've just been casting shows not because I'm the best candidate for the role or I'm the best actor, but because they like having my energy in the room. Like, which you know, sometimes um, I've got the gig over somebody else, maybe because oh, it'll be fun to have him in the in the room, even yep. if he's not you know perfectly suited to that the role. We'll we'll make it work. So. I guess that's that's why I've, I've kind of had a really solid, steady career, and and I'm really I could not be more thankful and grateful for it because I know how tough this game can be, and 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and in the last 18 months, it's been extraordinary. And I've worked a lot in the last 18 months, like more than I could have imagined I would be during a, a really shit period. Yeah. But I wouldn't, you know, I've not, I've not told people what I've been doing in the last 18 months because it's been so hard for so many people in the industry. It's, it's, you know, I'm not going to walk around going, oh, and I've yeah. got this and I'm doing this. Yeah. That's just not helpful to anybody. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I do treasure the fact that I have been lucky enough to continue to have a solid career and, you know, I look forward to one day just taking it, easing off a little bit. I feel like I'm already starting to ease back a little bit just to just picking my things a bit more because yeah. I also, what COVID has taught a lot of us is that there are so many more things that are important in life than just work. And as performers, we chase so hard all the time. We're like fucking yeah. dogs just rope, rope, rope. Mm -hmm. I, was, <laughs> I was actually going to bring up um, your involvement in the Victorian Active Benevolent Trust. Oh, look, I'm not, I, I am active in the sense that I'm a, a massive supporter of them and I, and I help them whenever I can. There are people that work behind the scenes way, way harder than me up for, for the Benevolent Trust. I, but any time they ask me to do um, a video or a recording or take a photo in a T-shirt or do the, the, the bucket rattles at the shows and do the speeches, 100% I put my hand up. Um, we closed a show three three nights early just two weeks ago at the Melbourne Theatre Company because COVID struck and we had to go into lockdown yeah. and we're on our last week and the show closed on the Thursday night and we were scheduled to do a bucket rattle and the, and the company were like, we don't need to do it if you don't want to. I said, absolutely, we're doing it. This is what it's for. It's for performers who are, you know, and, and crew and um, people in our industry who are falling on hard times. It's what the money goes to. We Tonight is one of the nights we absolutely need to do it. I was doing my normal bucket rattle speech, which is littered with stupid old people gags and, and it's, you know, fold your, fold your money up and put it in the bucket for us. That's really hand, handy and that sort of stuff. And then I just said thanks to the audience for being there and I just lost my shit. I just got super emotional because I realised how long it had been since we'd been on stage and the fact that it was cut short again and we were going back into lockdown and how mm. wonderful these people had been these people in the audience because they're big supporters of the company and, and they have always supported the benevolent trust and supported us and uh i, I was speaking to them <clears throat> saying thank you to them and i remember just getting super emotional and thinking oh what are you doing this is not this is not what i do and uh turns out it had a really really good effect <laughs> we made a shitload of money that night <laughs> from the bucket rattle, right. so I thank them all very much. But I, I, it wasn't my aim, but it, um, it had it obviously worked, so that's good. Just kind of wondering how it was going because I'm, I mean, looking at there the YouTube channel and you've got like John Wood, you know, spruiking the the bucket rattles, and and it's only got fifty five views, you know, and, and the, the YouTube channel has has only got like five subscribers yeah they don't, that's the thing they're not on they don't have an online presence and the thing is this the, the world's gone into digital media and you need to push the digital media for, so you need somebody to come on and just go right we're going to take this and put it online so everyone can see it and if people know about it then they'll go but they, they, they yeah they, they certainly need more promotion and yeah yeah, yeah they yeah. need more promotion and and for the for the work that they do and the, the people that they're helping absolutely no we, we are we are done but that's across the board the australian industry is not spruiked enough online online no you're dead right it needs to be and we, we were talked about it the other day there's not enough cast albums even if there are maybe 10 on there there's a thousand broadway ones let's get them recorded put out on digital it doesn't you don't have to do a physical cd let's get our artists out there they're absolutely brilliant yeah. they're, they're, and you could do the whole recording in in less than a week yeah. and the fans will come because they lap this shit up if we had done 
done an Australian Book of Mormon recording, yep. whether it was live or whether it was yep. studio recording. Yeah, totally. All those names would be out there in the public consciousness. Yeah, and the fact that it is not drives me nuts. But anyways, thank you so much. Mate, guys, it was a, such a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks yeah. for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming. Congratulations on your on your career so far. And, and I hope you have a, you know, yep. hope that the second half is, is just as good. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your uh, for your love and uh, support, and um, can't wait to hear it. Um, it was a lot of fun, mate. Thanks so much for asking me. Awesome. No worries. I'll take care of your socials for you. If you, you. see some guy come up to you again, that'll be me. I'll know who you are in this time. I will. <laughs> awesome. Huge thanks to Bert Labonte for joining us. What an absolute honor that was. You can follow him on Twitter at Bert Labonte. There's no little um, dingaling above the e, so check out. You'll see us on our twitter we'll post it and link uh you can find evan at crescredo as i like to pronounce so it's, it's credo but someone took it so it's cr3do be sure to follow us on the social medias at thrash and treasure uh click subscribe with like and all that jazz leave a five star review if you can or whatever all that stuff is i don't know and yeah anyways <laughs> you take care and we shall see you next time Hooroo. Good on you, mate. Thanks. Love you, mate, Yeah, that was really good. Like, like, so!